So we have been walking through the holy history and we have been applying that to our lives because the Apostle Paul said these things happened to them as an example for us. And they were written down uh, for our teaching for, so that we would uh, be able to learn. So these things happened to them, not just as history, not just uh, as some sort of a story, but because God wanted to say something to you and he wanted to say something to me. So in our journey through the holy history, we actually kind of jumped a few steps ahead and began with Joseph because Joseph was sold uh, into Egyptian slavery by his own brothers and then was raised up to become second in command in Egypt, saved the entire world from famine by interpreting a dream that the Lord gave to Pharaoh. And uh, as the result, his family, Joseph's family that is, who are the children of Israel, we know as Israel, came over into Egypt and lived in the land, uh, a region called Goshen, and they were, they were privileged. It was a, a beautiful area and they were able to graze their flocks there. But you know, as they grew into, from a family to a nation, uh, the Egyptians turned on them and turned them into slaves and they began to cry out. So God raised up Moses and uh, with many powerful signs, the people were thrust out of Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea or the Sea of Reeds uh, on dry ground, and then they moved through the desert until they got to Mount Sinai, grumbling all the way, by the way. Uh, God provided for them consistently, but they were not a believing people. They got to Mount Sinai, the law was handed down, and even there at the base of the mountain, they were sinning against God. They had already turned against God and began to worship uh, an idol that they created. They just made up their own God. Hey, Aaron, give us a God to lead us back to Egypt. He said, okay, here's a calf, you know. And so I've got theories as to why it was a calf, but nonetheless, uh, that was a stumbling block for Israel throughout her history, if you want to know the truth. Um, there were calf idols that were set up later in Israelite history. And we may continue walking through the holy history and we may get there. But nonetheless, um, the Lord kept reining them in and he kept pulling them back and he kept getting angry at them because they just would not believe and they wouldn't listen and they wouldn't obey. And Moses interceded for him on a number of occasions. He's like, Lord, no, don't destroy him. For your own glory, don't destroy him. And so God didn't, but ultimately they destroyed themselves because God, they got to the edge of the land of promise. God said, look at what I'm gonna give you. Now that doesn't mean you're not gonna have to work for it. That doesn't mean you're not gonna have to fight for it, but I'm gonna give this to you and I'm gonna give you the victory. And Caleb and Joshua said, yes, let's go in and let's take it. And then the, the other 10 spies that went in and looked at the land said, wow, it is a beautiful land, it's amazing. It's the land of flowing with milk and honey, but there are giants in the land and the cities are fortified and we can't do it and God brought us out here to kill us. And God said, no, I didn't, but let your, we're just gonna let your prophecy be fulfilled. You're gonna die in the wilderness, but your children are gonna go in and take the land. Well, that's where we paused. Uh, well, I told you about the end of the, uh, that period of time of wandering in the wilderness where all of the adult men who would have been warriors died in the wilderness. Their children were still alive. Moses was still alive. Joshua was still alive. Caleb was still alive. They're the only three in that generation that lived. 38 years later, after they, all the rest had died, Moses led the people on a couple of military campaigns in what's called the Transjordan area, east of the Jordan, 
uh, in and around the land of Moab and Ammon and Gilead. And you may not know what that means if you don't have a map in your mind, but you can look it up if you'd like to. But they still hadn't crossed into Israel proper. They hadn't gone across the Jordan River. And Moses even uh, tried to cajole God and get God to let him go in. Uh, well, the, the Lord said, no, that's not going to happen because you didn't honor me in front of the people. Now, I've only mentioned this story. We didn't really look at it in detail, but I've mentioned it a couple of times when they were at Kadesh Barnea, uh, they were out of water once again. And so God said, I want you, Moses, to speak to this rock and water will come out. Well, previously near Mount Sinai, he had told Moses to strike the rock. Well, Moses didn't do what the Lord said. Not only did he not speak to the rock, he said, shall we bring water from this rock for you rebels? And then he struck it twice, three times, and then water came out. And God said, you didn't honor me in front of these people, so I'm not gonna let you go in and take the land. Um, so we will probably get to this uh, next week, but Joshua was the one that the Lord used to take the people in and uh, to take the land of promise. But what I want to do this week is I want to take a couple of steps back because we did not talk about Abraham and Abraham is the reason that all of this happened to begin with. Abraham was the one to whom God promised that land, the land of Canaan, right? And it's called the promised land because God promised it to Abraham and to his descendants. So I want to step back and this is stepping back 500 years, right? So the people of Israel were in Egypt for 430 years, right? Um, they came in um, because of Joseph. The family goes Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Jacob has 12 sons, and Joseph is the 11th of those 12 sons, right? So um, we have to go a couple of generations back from that first step that we took with Joseph to get to Abraham. But Abraham is the one that God first made this promise to. And what I want to talk about today is the blessing of Abraham because you and I may receive the blessing of Abraham. And the blessing of Abraham is righteousness that comes by faith righteousness that comes by faith and gives us right standing with God because of Jesus Christ. Um, now, I want to read the promises and the, the commandment that God gave to Abraham. And this is going all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. And uh, this is verse one. So we, we went all the way to Deuteronomy and now we're backing all the way up to Genesis. So bear in mind, we're going back 500 years, but we're gonna look at the reason that the land of Canaan was something that the Israelites could count on God giving them. This is, um, <clears throat> excuse me, Genesis 12, one. Now the Lord said to Abram, and by the way, his name was Abram before God changed it to Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Um, I am not going to do this this morning, but I can show you that each of those promises that were made to Abraham are extended to those of us who will have the same faith as Abraham. But what I wanna focus on today is the blessing of Abraham, which is right standing with God through Jesus Christ. So let's uh, take a little tour. Um, 
If you want to read about the entirety of Abraham, um, you will look at Genesis 12 through Genesis 22, and you will uh, you'll look at Abraham. So I've got a graphic that I'm going to ask the, the ladies to put up there, and I have a copy of it right here in front of me. Um, but uh, it helps us to understand the movement of Abraham from his land, his homeland, all the way to the land of promise. Um, it's the, it's the graphic that has all the, all the arrows on it in there, okay? So what happens initially, that's it right there. Um, and if you'll just leave that up there for a moment. Um, Abraham's father's name was Terah. What was Abraham's father's name? Terah. All right, it helps to get the names and the places straight. That way you know where you're going, right? He actually moves, uh, this is in chapter 11, before the promises and the commands that we just read in 12. This is Genesis 11. Terah moves Abram and his family from Ur of the Chaldees after the death of his brother Haran. And they moved to a place called Haran, which presumably was a place that they founded or renamed after this dead brother, okay? It was in Haran that Abram received God's promise and he obeyed, leaving his father's house behind in Haran. Um, Abram's uh, nephew, Lot, went with him and then they went into Canaan. Um, there is another graphic there, ladies. There, it's a map. If you'll put the map up there, then I can help people envision what's going on here, okay? So you can see over on the right side in the middle of the map, Ur, that's Ur of the Chaldees. And you recognize some of these names, Babylon, Nineveh. And there's Haran, right up there, right about the center of the map, okay? That's where Abram received the call that I just uh, related to you from Genesis chapter 12. And then Abram comes all the way down through uh, these various cities that you see here and then crosses the Jordan and comes over into what we know as Israel today, the land of Canaan, all right? And there's lots of places where he wandered around there, um, but primarily he was in the south region uh, down here. So where it says Great Sea, that's the Mediterranean. And uh, you can see Jerusalem there, Ashdod, Hebron, Gaza. You can see all the names of those places. And Abram was down here uh, where you see Beersheba, Beer the Hyroi, these areas down here at the bottom, okay? So this would have been a, a trip of some 800 miles. It would have taken Abram 22 days to walk this, right? So, you know, he's not walking alone. He's got uh, quite a retinue. He's got a big family. I mean, we're talking camels and, and, you know, herds and flocks and everything, and they're all moving in this direction, all right? So go ahead and go back to that graphic, if you will. Um, so now you have a better idea of what we're talking about geographically of where they moved. So he arrives in Canaan, that area down south uh, in, uh, in Canaan, and God promises to give him the land. So that is where we get this idea that Israel belongs to the people called Israel down to our day. Now, that doesn't mean that there can't be others that live there who have lived there for many years, and I'm not going to get into all of the conflict between Israel and the Palestinians, the so-called Palestinians. But nonetheless, this is a very, very ancient promise to Abraham and to his descendants. Now, um, technically speaking, all of the Arab peoples, 
uh, Arabic peoples uh, trace their descendancy, their physical descendancy back to Abraham. Abraham is uh, promised that he will be a blessing to many nations. Uh, he's promised that he will become a great nation. Well, the reality is Abraham is the root of three major world religions. Who are the three or what are the three major world religions that trace their history back to Abraham? Right, the Jews and Christians and Muslims. And I did that in historic order, okay? Judaism, uh, as we know Judaism today, doesn't go back this far, but the Jewish people go all the way back to Abraham and his promised son, Isaac, right? Um, and then Christians, whose lineage comes out of Judaism because of Jesus. Jesus grafts us into the olive tree of, uh, of the uh, Israelite people, Jewish people, uh, and that's how we receive the promises that were made to them. And initially, those promises were made to Abraham. And so uh, Christianity comes along in uh, the first century AD, and in the sixth century AD, uh, more than 500 years later, Islam is founded by Muhammad, who also traces this history back to Abraham. So Abraham is a very, very important figure. But for our purpose today, uh, I want you to see that God made a promise to Abraham that the Apostle Paul says uh, is essentially the gospel. We might call it a proto-gospel. That means the gospel before we understood what the gospel really was. Okay? And that comes as the result of God promising Abraham that he was going to bless all nations through him. So, from our purpose, for our purpose today, God promised Abraham the land of Canaan. When he crossed the Jordan, he said, every, feet, every place where your feet go, this is where you're going to be. This is going to be the, the land of your people. Well, at that point, his name was Abram, which is a, a name that means exalted father, but that must have been somewhat of an embarrassment to him because he didn't even have a child, right? Abram and Sarai uh, lived for many, many years as husband and wife and had no children. And it gets to the point where God has led him away from his family all the way into the land of Canaan. He's just, just poured out all these promises on him. And Abram cries out to God one day and says, how is this going to happen? How am I going to receive this land? How am I going to be the father of a multitude of many nations and be a blessing and all this when I don't even have a son? The heir of my household is Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household. And God said, no, 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 no. I've made this promise and I'm going to keep the promise. And so in spite of all of the evidence to the contrary, the scripture says that Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. You see, we're like those people in the wilderness, aren't we? At least many of us are. They were the, I'll believe it when I see it people. They were the, God, what have you done for me lately, people? If it's right out here in front of me and I can take it in my hands and control it and have it for myself, then I'll believe. That's not believing, friend. That's different. But as, as Christians, our entire life is based around faith in Jesus, faith in this historic figure who died on a cross, was buried and raised on the third day, and none of us have ever seen him. Have you ever seen Jesus? 
right? I'm not talking about these pictures that I got up here. That's not Jesus. That's just a, a you know, a representation. It's symbolic. That's not Jesus. Have you seen Jesus? I haven't seen Jesus, okay? But I believe because God has made a promise. And that promise is more than just words. It is the word incarnate, Jesus Christ, the son of God, who came to earth and inhabited human flesh, became a man, and lived the obedient life that you and I should live, but don't all the time, maybe seldom, and then died on the cross in our behalf because the soul that sins will surely die, and we all sin, the wages of sin is death, and so we all deserve that death. Jesus died in our place. He died for us so that we could be set free, okay? Um, so uh, let me finish this history here. Um, so there's a famine in Canaan. Abram goes to Egypt. Um, there's this story where Abram lies to protect himself and almost loses his wife to Pharaoh. And then Abram returns to Canaan and he continues to prosper, but he has no heir. That's the part of the story that I just related to you, which is found in Genesis 15. Then God promises Abram a son. He believes, and that's counted to him as righteousness. There it is right there. Abram and Sarai, this is number seven where the arrow goes, uh, play God, and he fathers Ishmael. So Sarai gets frustrated about all of this because she's the one that's barren. And ladies, you know, if, the, if a child could not... Uh, come if there was uh, if if the the fan the the uh, couple was childless the woman was inevitably blamed and she's blaming herself and she doesn't understand and she's very upset so they had a practice back then that if the the woman had a servant then the servant could go into her husband as a surrogate and she could bear the child and then the child would be raised, a surrogate, right? We still use that term today. And the child would be raised as her son, right? Um, so that's what she presumes. Uh, see, this is what we do a good bit of the time. God makes certain promises. They're not happening in our timing. Uh, it gets frustrating. And so we kind of act out and do what we want to do. And that's what they did. Ishmael is the father of all of the Arabic peoples today. The Arabs and the Jews hate each other down to our day. This sibling rivalry that has extended itself over thousands of years, right? Um, so he fathers Ishmael. But God said, no, that's, Ishmael's going to be great, and he's going to be a great nation. Okay, He's going to be a great man. He's going to be the father of, of many. But that's not where this promise that I've made to you is going to happen. It's going to happen through Isaac, this child that you're going to have. And it, uh, at a point, he says, you're going to have this child in a year. And Sarah he overhears God speaking. God appears to Abram in a the, theophany, okay, that is a pre-appearance of Christ. Uh, he, he appears to Abram as a, as a human, uh, human man and speaks to him and promises him, no, you're going to have your son through Sarah. Now, this was, you know, it sounded like a joke because at this point, they're way up in years, so far up in years that when they did finally have Isaac, Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90. Whoa, that's old. I'm old, but man, ladies, I, I know y'all have a hard time when you have a baby. Can you imagine having a baby at 90? Woo, it's easier for the guy, right? It's just a whole lot easier. That's what all y'all are saying when you're giving birth to that child. You're like, never again, right? So Sarah overhears uh, the angel of the Lord speaking to Abraham and making this promise, and she giggles. She laughs. 
Angel said, uh, why did she laugh? I didn't laugh, I, I, didn't, I didn't laugh. So they named him Isaac and Isaac means laughing, right? So they actually do uh, have uh, Isaac, that uh, son of the promise, and that's who God established the covenant, uh, the covenant of circumcision as the result of. So at the result of, of seeming indelicate, circumcision means that the seed of Abraham will ultimately result in the blessing to all nations, who is Jesus, okay? Jesus is descended all the way back through David, through all of the, the, the patriarchs to Abraham. The seed of Abraham, Christ, the Messiah, Jesus, is the reason that we're all blessed. Amen? Okay, that came through Isaac. It was a promise. God loves to do what is impossible for us. God makes a promise and you say, that's impossible, perfect. That's perfect because if it's impossible, then you'll know that when it happens, it's not you that did it, right? It's like there's so many times that I, you know, I look at things and that I thought I could do and I thought you know, I would be better at or more successful at or whatever, and now they seem impossible. But I just continue to trust God who does the impossible, amen? All right, so I don't know what seems impossible in your life right now, but God is the God of the impossible, right? Uh, he appeared to Mary and he said, you're gonna have a child. And she said, how's that gonna happen? I'm not married. And back then, if you weren't married, you didn't mess around. You period did not mess around. Today, I'm just wondering if anybody doesn't mess around, right? God's plan is better, by the way, okay? I won't go any further into that. God's plan is better. God's plan is one man, one woman, life. Get involved intimately after you're married. You say, oh, that's so old-fashioned. I know, God is so old-fashioned because he's infinite. He's the ancient of days, and he's the one that created this whole thing. God created gender, God created sex, God created marriage. You need to get on what he wants to do, amen? Instead of you and I constantly trying to make it up in our head and reinvent things, the culture has changed dramatically, but the truth hasn't changed, okay? So that's the, that is the plan, right? And so eventually, um, I, I'm, let me go back to the Mary story. Uh, the angel Gabriel tells Mary that she's going to give birth to uh, the son of God. And she says, how's that gonna happen? I've never known a man, I'm not married. And he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the most high, and the child will be called the son of God, right? And so she said, let it be to me as you have said, right? And the angel says this, and nothing shall be impossible with God. Amen? Amen? Whatever seems impossible right now for you is not impossible for God. In fact, the more impossible it is, the more glory God will get when it eventually happens, all right? So the, the final thing, and you don't have to put the graphic back up there, but the, the final thing that happens in the Abraham story is that God actually tells Abraham to offer up his only son, the son of the promise, as a sacrifice. Now, uh, this seems horrific, horrendous, strange. I don't have time to get into it. But the reality is when we read about this incident in Hebrews, we realize that Abraham knew that God wasn't gonna take the life of his son permanently one way or the other because God had already made a promise and Abraham trusted God to a fault. 
He trusted God completely. And he knew that if God was asking for this, if God had to raise his son from the dead, he was going to do that because that was the promise that God had made. And God keeps his promises. Amen? He really does. So it's incumbent upon you and I to figure out what God's promises are. Right? So... Um, the, the uh, lessons that I would like for us to, to call from this story today. Um, we need to understand that we are blessed if we have the faith of Abraham. I'm going to look at Galatians chapter 3, where the Apostle Paul relates this, and this is really where I'm getting this, uh, this theme and this title for our message today. Galatians chapter 3. And uh, I'm going to... Start reading in verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, so there he is, he's quoting Genesis 15, 7. Therefore recognize that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. Are you a believer? Are you of faith? Do you believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Right? then you're a son or a daughter of Abraham. Verse 8, the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, that's most of us in this room, that's those of us that are not Jew, Jewish people, the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. See how I said it's a proto-gospel? He preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. If we're of the faith of Abraham, we are blessed like Abraham, the believer. We are the recipients of that promise. Verse 10, for all who are of works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law to do them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous one will live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, the person who performs them will live by them. Verse 13, and 13 and 14 are the ones I really want to land on here. Christ redeemed us. He bought us back from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree or on a pole in order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, there's the title of our message today, the blessing of Abraham, would come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So this is a matter of how you get right with God. In the natural, what we think is, well, I just need to do enough good works so that God will be pleased with me, right? We all have that... You know, that old school idea, uh, going back to before my time and before anyone's time in this room, I'm sure. I mean, you know, when we weigh something on a scale today, it's something that uh, has to do with the, uh, the, the gravity of that object pressing against the earth. And, you know, there's some sort of a, a scale that, that moves. But back in the day, what they had is they had a scale. Have you seen the, the picture of Justice? She's blind and she's holding out the, the scales, right? It's a beam, and then hanging on these two chains or these plates. So here's how you knew what something weighed. You would have a, a standard measure, and you would put it in one side of the scale. And then you would stack whatever it was that you wanted to equal that weight 
until the balance was even. Okay? This is how, even if you didn't know that, this is how a lot of people think. They think, well, as long as my good works outweigh my bad works, then I'm going to go to heaven. As long as I don't do anything too terribly bad, that's not the way it works, friend. See, the number one work that you and I need to be involved with is trusting God. Amen? And this is what Israel could not do. They were like toddlers in the wilderness, you know, constantly saying, mine, mine, and no, no. And they just wouldn't follow through, and they wouldn't do what the Lord wanted them to do. And God said, all I want you to do is trust. Trust and obey. That's what Abraham did. He trusted, and he obeyed. Well, God revealed himself to Abram, and he made some amazing promises to him. He related those, and he commanded him, I want you to leave your country. I want you to leave your father's house, and I want you to go to a land that I'm going to show you. He didn't know where he was going. Can you imagine that? God says, go, and you say, where? And he says, no, just go. I'll show you along the way, okay? And by the way, I've said this to people before. Um, you're not going to get direction from God until you start obeying God. Until you start moving, you're not going to get direction from God. I like to say it this way. You can't turn a bicycle if you're not pedaling. Right? You've got to be moving or you can't turn. If you're standing still and you're on a bike. In fact, if you're in your car. <laughs> I, I, it's funny to me. Sometimes you're behind somebody and you have two types of people on the road that just drive me insane. People that are out there that are weaving in and out of traffic, cutting in and out of traffic, and you know, cutting you off, and then the people that are so excessively cautious, right? They're doing like five miles an hour as they creep up to the driveway. And then they crank their wheel, and they slowly, I'm, I'm like, you, you gotta roll to turn, all right? You really do, you gotta roll to turn. Now, you don't need to be rolling so fast that you come up on two wheels when you turn. But you got to roll to turn. That's a good word for you, my friend. You see, you need to start doing what God has already revealed to you. When you start doing what God has already revealed to you, he will start revealing more to you. Amen? He promises to be a light unto your path and a lamp unto your feet, not a GPS unto the whole thing. It wasn't until Abram got into the land of Canaan that God made the promise. Now, this is what I'm going to give you, right? So, um, there are three things that I want to conclude with very quickly. Number one, if God doesn't act and offer, our faith is nothing more than speculation and presumption. There's a whole lot of people who today think that you can just have faith in whatever, as long as you have some sort of faith, then it's all going to work out. Well, that's nonsense. Faith has to have an object. And it's not how big your faith is. It's how accurate your faith is. You see, if you have faith in the wrong thing or the wrong person, you're going to fail, period. Right? You have faith in a certain politician. You have faith in a certain uh, you know, scheme that you have cooked up or you know, that you looked up. If it's not reliable, if it's not trustworthy, it doesn't matter how strong your faith is, it's going to fail, right? Faith doesn't create anything itself. It attaches itself to something or someone else, right? So number one, we need to realize that God always moves first. It's called prevenient grace, if you want to remember the theological term for this, okay? God has to reveal himself, and he has to offer a promise. That's why we are constantly in this book, 
I'm not up here blowing smoke up your skirt. I'm trying to tell you the truth from the word of God. I'm not trying to make you feel good temporarily. I'm trying to hook you into this truth, right? Uh, a couple of presidents ago, there was a president that liked to say often that uh, if we did not follow the trend of the culture at the time, we were going to find ourselves on the wrong side of history. My friend, I'm not concerned about being on the quote-unquote wrong side of history. I'm concerned about being on the wrong side of eternity. History changes. You know, we talk about climate change. Climate change is real. It's have been happening since the planet was founded. Climate change is a constant. Should we take care of the planet? Yes, absolutely. I'm not getting into all that. The reality is everything is changing and changing and changing and changing. And the only unchanging thing we can count on is Almighty God, who's above this and beyond this. History is constantly changing. Right? The, the things that people accept now, I would never have believed. I would never have believed. Right? But I'm guaranteeing you it's not going to last. Things constantly change. That's why you need this word, so that you will know something that is unchanging, that is stable, that is steady, that is trustworthy, okay? Number two, if you don't obey, if you won't move, then you don't really believe. Believing is not speaking something. It's not confessing something apart from committing to something, okay? People say, well, I believe in God. Well, James, the half-brother of Jesus, who wrote the book of James, said, congratulations, the demons believe and shudder. How many of you know the demons are not going to heaven? Well, I believe in God. The demons believe, and they're going to hell. Congratulations. You have proven you're not a fool. The scripture says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. It's not believing in the existence of God that gets you to heaven. It's putting your trust in God, believing in Jesus, giving him your life, surrendering your life to him, and letting him take you up into his life, right? So if I believe something, I'm going to do something about it. There's a reason you're here today in church. There's a reason. There's a reason you're watching online. There's a reason. Okay, hopefully it's a faith-oriented reason. But people who say, well, you know, I believe in God and, uh, you know, I, I, uh, you know, I'm just as good as you. I, I'm going to go to heaven. But they don't ever do anything about their faith. Okay, so I want to get us out of this idea that we're going to work our way into heaven, right, by doing the works of the law. That's what the Apostle Paul was talking about in, in Galatians 3. But I also want to get us away from the other extreme, the other side of the road. So you can go off on one side of the road and you end up in a ditch. You can go off on the, other, the opposite side of the road and end up in a ditch, right? You, you can end up in a ditch by driving down the road and going off where it says, I'm going to work my way into heaven. You can also drive down the road and get off in the ditch where it says, I don't have to do anything and I'm going to heaven. No, if you believe something enough, you're going to do something about it. That's something good for you to commit to memory. If you believe it enough, you're going to do something about it. Conversely, if you don't do anything about it, you don't really believe it. Because you act on what you truly believe in. Now, I, uh, I related this quote in, in its context on my Facebook page this week. But Dallas Willard, uh, the 
USC philosophy professor who was a brilliant Christian also, uh, who passed away several years ago, uh, wrote a book called The Great Omission. And he was the great omission. That's what you're leaving out. You know, the big thing we're all leaving out is discipleship. We're not following Jesus. We're believing in our head and attending church on occasion, and it's not changing our lives. And we wonder why so many people are leaving church. Well, it's not making any difference, so no wonder they're leaving church because they don't notice any difference. But if you follow Jesus, you will notice a difference. So in this book where uh, Dallas Willard was trying to help us to understand that we need to follow Jesus, we need to actually become acolytes of Jesus, apprentices of Jesus, students of Jesus, he said this, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. That's it right there. Man, you need to work. You need to do something. If you believe, then get out there and do something. Right? Follow. Jesus said, if you love me, what? Do what I say. Oh, I love you, Jesus, and I sing all these songs. And he's like, okay, I love you too, but you kind of need to obey. Right? So that's number two. If you don't obey, you won't move, then you don't really believe. Right? Abram continued to trust God's promises for many years, even though he saw no evidence that he could obtain or attain them. And he didn't have any kids, but eventually God kept his promise, as he always does. And last one, number three, faith endures or it isn't faith in the infinite, immutable God. As I said earlier, when I was talking about history, history changes, God does not change. That unchanging characteristic or quality of God, we call his immutability. Say the word immutable. immutable. Don't you feel smart now? That's like a big theological word, but it means God doesn't change. God is infinite, he never ends. He doesn't have a beginning and he doesn't have an end and God never changes. That way you can trust anything that comes out of God's mouth, so to speak, right? His word, because his word like him is unchanging. He's immutable. Therefore, if you have faith in that God, you're not gonna give up, amen? Because you have faith in the right object. It's not how strong your faith is or how big your faith is. Again, it's how accurate your faith is. Do you have faith in this almighty, infinite, immutable God? Then you cannot fail, man. Amen? That's, that's ultimate invincibility. All right? You can't fail because he's the one that's going to go before you, go behind you. He's going to protect you. He's going to provide for you. All you have to do is trust and obey. And it's not really that hard to do, friend. It's really not. But you've got to keep on keeping on. You've got to hang on. You realize that God's hanging on to you, but he wants you to hang on to him as well. You need to reach back. And we see this when it concerns Israel. The apostle Paul writes about Israel and the fact that he is a Jew, and many of the Jews in his day were rejecting Jesus as Messiah, as many Jews do today, reject Jesus. And plenty of Jews receive Jesus as Messiah, believe he's the Messiah. Um, 
but plenty reject him. And the apostle Paul was very concerned about them, but he did not give up on them. He didn't give up on his people because he said in Romans eleven twenty nine, the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. Irrevocable. That means he doesn't call them back. He doesn't cut them off. He continues to offer that promise. In other words, friend, God isn't giving up on you. Amen? God hasn't given up on you. So don't give up. Don't give up. The culture is changing. I see people that were not really fruit, that were just kind of uh, pretending to be fruit in churches that are falling off right and left. And it's not because they're ripe, it's because they're rotten. They don't believe anymore. They turn their back on Almighty God. They turn their back on Jesus. They turn their back on this book. I'm sorry, friend, there's whole churches that are doing this now. But you and I have got to hang on because Jesus himself said uh, in his, uh, we call it the eschatological discourse. This is uh, when Jesus talked about the end times. And you can find it uh, in all of the synoptics. But if you look in Matthew, you can find it in Matthew 24. And he said, those who endure to the end will be saved. You know, you don't have to run fast, but you have to keep running. Amen? I mean... Every time I run now, I hate to see my shadow when I run. Because I feel like I'm really giving it all I got, you know? Like, I'll drive by, you know, people out there, and I'll see them running, and I, I'm sorry, I get kind of judgmental, not in a horrible way, just, I'm just like, wow, you're really slow, <laughs> you know? Or I see, you know, somebody running, and I'm like, man, that's a good clip, you know? You're really, I look at my shadow, and I'm like, you are old and slow and fat. Not fast, fat. Because I'm just, I'm just trumping along. And I've gotten to where I can feel this move now. <laughs> it's terrible. But all you got to do is keep moving. Amen? The race is not to the swift. Right? You just need to finish. Keep running, jogging, walking, crawling, but finish the race. Don't give up on God because he has not given up on you. Abraham didn't give up and he is the father of a multitude. He's the blessing to many nations. He's everything that God promised him. God's offered these promises to you and I as well, right? So, Trust the Lord Jesus Christ with all of your heart and don't stop.